Good morning. Well, at this time, we'll, we will dismiss our children, ages four to six, to Redeemer Kids. We'll be gathering over here with uh, AJ and Katrina. So all the children who are age four to six, you can go to uh, Children's Church now, Redeemer Kids. Hey, what are, what, are, what are these guys learning about today at Redeemer Kids? Okay. Dagon and how God is powerful than all other gods. Great. Guys, um, we're going to pray for you in a little while, but you guys can go ahead and go and just tr- just know that we're praying for you today, okay? All right. Great. Thanks. You know, I don't usually uh, do this um, because, you know, I get up here, I'm, I'm kind of focused in on uh, the sermon and, and just the privilege of preaching and all that. But because I'm focused in on the sermon and the privilege of preaching, I just want to say just a moment, just take a, just a quick moment. Did you guys know that that our third preaching lab uh, started uh, actually this weekend. Um, I don't know if everyone was aware of that. And so yesterday, seven of the 10 or 11 guys that are in our preaching lab um, this year uh, preached their, their first sermons. And man, I just, it was so encouraging. Um, it's, it's really a blessing and a privilege to get to be a part of something like the Redeemer Preaching Lab and getting to see uh, these men um, have a desire to preach the word and to do it rightly and to be trained and and guys it is just it, it's it's noteworthy so to the point that I just feel like I needed to say something about it this morning and just express to you what a blessing and encouragement it was to me to get to be a part of that and as the preaching lab continues throughout the the summer I just want you I want you all to know that you can always come and listen to the guys that are uh, preaching. Now, there's a couple things we want you to keep in mind. You know, uh, we don't want to derail these guys. So, you know, we don't have a lot of coming in and out of the rooms. We've got some strict rules about cell phones. And, and, and if it is your uh, husband, son, or fiancé who's preaching, just know that there will be a critique time afterwards, okay? In love. It's lovingly offered, but it is a critique time, so don't take it personally. Okay, so, but anyway, man, what a privilege that was. So let's also help me keep my word to the kids and pray for them and pray for us this morning. Why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for our children. God, we recognize that children are a blessing from the Lord, and we are grateful. You have provided so many children here at Redeemer Church, and I know that that... You know, those kids have parents who are here, and we're grateful for them. But we also recognize, God, that you call us as a congregation, as a church, to be involved in the life of all of the children in our congregation and to be discipling them and teaching them and joining their parents in discipling them. So, God, that's our privilege, and we are grateful for that. Father, I pray for A.J. and Katrina right now as they teach our older children and redeem our kids and as they learn about how, God, you are more powerful than any other God, that there is no God besides you, uh, and and therefore learn to have no other gods before you. God, I pray you'll open the hearts by by your spirit of our children to understand that truth today. And God, we also pray for our hearts this morning, that by your spirit you would open our hearts to understand your word as it is proclaimed and taught today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, um, I would invite you to turn to 2 Peter. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 15. I, I did forget to look up uh, what page in the, uh, in the chair Bible that is. Is anybody using the chair Bible? 1018. Okay, so uh, if you want to use the chair Bible, then you can turn to page... 1018, 1018, and find 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. So as I begin this morning, I have a question. Uh, you will answer just by raising your hand. How many of you were born after 1989? Okay, all right. Thank you. Hands. <laughs> Whoa, whoops. Okay, all right. So if you were born after 1989, there is something that is never that never existed in your lifetime called the Soviet Union, okay? And now, how many of you were born after, say, because, like, what do you think? You, you really start remembering stuff at about age three or four. Is that about right? 
So if we could even back up and say, like, who was born 1985? You know, you, you, you're not even in that. So, so, yeah, even those of you who are even a little older than those in 89, even in 85, you probably don't even remember that there was a Soviet Union. And there was also something when this, uh, called the Cold War. Okay, so I grew up in the era of the Cold War. Uh, you know, it was always the U.S. versus the Soviet Union in everything. I remember 1980. I'm watching the Winter Olympic Games, and the U.S. beat the Soviet Union in hockey. And I didn't know hockey from cricket in 1980, okay? But I was like, USA! USA! I mean, I was so excited because we beat the Soviets at something. Hockey, that's their, you know, and it was because we were at war. It was a Cold War, but we were at war, and they were the enemy, man. And like every action movie. We had a built-in enemy. Like, like the original Red Dawn, it was the Soviet Union that parachuted in that little town in California or Colorado and all those kids, you know, whatever. Or, or I don't you name it. Like every, every Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, whatever, insert action hero, the Soviet Union was the enemy. And if you wanted, if you wanted a story or a movie that, like, beat, went against all the odds, then it was... An, an American and, an, and a Soviet working together, like Rocky IV, okay? I, like, you know, like, yo, if you can change and if I can change, we can all change. You know, that, that whole thing, okay? The, the cult, that was pretty good, wasn't it? That was a pretty good Rocky. I, I'm going to take that on the road. Okay, so, but I, I, I begin to digress from the point of this illustration. The illustration is getting bigger than it needs to be. In 1984, Ronald Reagan ran for re-election as president of the United States, and it was a it, it might, that that was a serious time because the Summer Olympic Games were held in Los Angeles, and the Soviet Union was boycotting the '84 Olympic Games because back in 1980, in the Moscow Games, the U.S. boycotted. So I mean, there's this the Cold War still going on. But there was a significant number of people who said, we don't need to be fighting the Cold War anymore. So there was this commercial, Ronald Reagan's re-election commercial, and it, it had this, there was this woods, forest area, and you hear, you hear this large tromping around, you know, in the, in the, in the brush, in the underbrush, and in the woods, and, and you hear this growl and this heavy snorting and breathing, and, then, and, and that's kind of in the background, and that's what you see visually. And then the voiceover is talking about how there's this fierce bear in the woods. And now some say the bear is not so fierce that he's actually weak, and, and, and it's not necessary to fear the bear. And don't, don't, you, don't, you don't have to protect yourself against the bear. Some say that, but, but we say the bear's real, and we need to protect ourselves from this bear. And, of course, you know, the bear, just like the bald eagle is sort of the, the, the symbol of the United States, the bear is the symbol for Russia, which is sort of the, the poster child of the Soviet Union, okay? So the whole commercial, which was very effective, was about, well, do we need to fight the Cold War or not? Some say we should make every effort to protect ourselves from the Soviet Union, this fierce bear in the woods. And others say, we don't have to do anything. And so there was, there was this tension. And, and this morning our text kind of has that same kind of, of tension in it. There's this tension between, you know, do we work hard and make every effort, or do we, or, or do we wait and, and, and really do nothing because this is done for us? You see... This morning we're looking in 2 Peter 1, 5-15, and, and we're looking at godliness. And godliness is going to be a theme that we will encounter all throughout 2 Peter. But I think what we'll see this morning is that God's intention and provision for us is that we would live lives of godliness. So the main theme, the main point of the text is that, that God's intention and provision for us is that we would live lives of godliness. But the reality is we don't live God, lives of godliness. We, we just don't live in a godly way. And, and sometimes we fail to live in a godly way because we, we, grasp, we, we, don't, we fail to grasp the importance of godliness. Just like some in the 80s failed to grasp 
the the idea of a fierce bear in the woods, which is the Soviet Union, and the need to fight the Cold War. Simply do nothing, because it's not important. Some of us fail to live lives of godliness because that's our attitude, but uh, uh, others, other times, we fail to live lives of godliness because we don't want to make every effort. We don't want to put forth the effort to live a life of godliness, or... We have a form of godliness that is really our effort at moral legalism. So we're making every effort, but it's only our effort. It's our effort and our effort alone. And so it's, it's, built, it's effort that's built upon self-righteousness. And so we fail to live a life of godliness because we attain something that appears to be godliness but lacks the power of godliness. And so that's, that's the tension that is in the text that we're reading um, this morning. So let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For this is the way there will be, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, as we think about this passage and, and this message this morning, it, we have to get this, that the, the text we're looking at today is inseparable from the text we looked at last week, particularly verses 3 and 4. Verse 5 begins with, with these, these things. For this very reason. Okay, so because of these things, or for this very reason. Well, what are the things, or what is the very reason we're referring to? Well, we go back up to verse 3, and I'll just read 3 and 4 again for us in way of reminder. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His, His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For that very reason. So everything that follows today is for the reason or because of the reason given in, reasons given in 3 and 4, because we have everything for life and godliness granted, provided by God's divine power, that, that we have His precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature and be freed from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, God is the source of godliness. God is the source of a godly lifestyle. Okay? So... For that very reason, because of those things being true, then today's text that begins with, make 
every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are used, are yours and in, in increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I hope we see first, what we see in those first eight verses, is this truth. That there is a command to godliness. We see the command to godliness. We are commanded, it is an imperative, to, to make every effort to supplement our faith with this list of godly attributes. And there's a list there. We'll, go, we'll get to the list. But first, we need to see that there is a command to godliness. And that command begins with the phrase, make every effort. Now, wait a minute. Do you, do you see the tension now? We, we, we saw last week that God, because of, his, because of the righteousness of Christ, because of His divine power, God doing only what God can do, has granted us a faith and granted us everything necessary for life and godliness and through His precious and great promises has provided for us okay, um, a, a, a way to be free from... The, the corruption of sin in this world and to be like Him, to be like God. Freedom and likeness. To be like Him, to be godly. Because godly means to be like Him. Okay, so, so that's all been provided and done and accomplished for us through the righteousness of Christ, God's divine power and His precious and great promises. But now, in the very same chapter, just... One verse later, we're told to make every effort. So how do we understand that? You know, well, that making every effort is, is striving. We are to strive to do something, which is to supplement our faith. Now, I'm going to tell you that there's a tension here. Okay, there's a tension, and the tension is between, you know, just simply relying on God and working it out ourselves and and we sometimes don't know what to do with that but here's the beauty it's it's not striving and working in our own strength and and one comes after the other not before so first of all the striving the making every the effort and the work and the striving is not done in our own power. It's struggling and laboring, striving with God's power that is at work in us. But it still asks of us to strive and to work, not for something, but because of something. And that something is the righteousness of Christ, God's divine power, and His precious and great promises. Because of those things, because of these things, the, this righteousness of Christ, God's divine power, and His great and precious promises, we work, we strive. And our working and striving can never come before these things. It can never come before the power of God at work in us but only after and because of God's power at work in us. We, we cannot and must not ever fall into the trap of self-righteous effort. We can never fall into the trap that godliness is attained purely by our own discipline and power and effort. Is there discipline, power, and effort Required? Yes. But it is discipline and, and, and effort that is fueled by, by faith and led um, by the Spirit and empowered by God. Uh, 
that's it's effort that is fueled, driven, empowered by God and the gospel through His Spirit. That that's the kind of effort and striving we're talking about. And and just notice that that effort and striving is to supplement our faith. Now, where does faith come from? So where does faith come from? It comes from God, right? How do we know that? Look at verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This faith that we have obtained comes because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the righteousness of God given to us in Christ. We, the theological term we use is imputed. Okay, It's given to us, though we don't, didn't earn it, can't claim it as our own, but it's given, it's given deposited, uh, called ours. Okay, It's imputed. Jesus, His righteousness is transferred to us so that now we become righteous and have a faith. That's the source of our faith. God is the source of our faith in Christ. So when it says supplement your faith, it's make every effort to supplement what God has already given you. And supplement, okay, we need to think about that word a little bit. Um, it, It really means to outfit or to furnish, okay? Um, Really, it's make the most of. Make the most. So, make every effort to come alongside your faith and make the most of your faith. We're not adding anything that isn't already there, but making every effort to make the most of what God has given us in this gift of faith. And then comes the list. So this command to godliness involves us making every effort, striving, not in our own strength, but because of what God has provided in response to and because of what God has provided. And we are to make the most of what God has already provided, namely our faith. And then there's the list. And the list begins with faith and ends with love. And, and I, I don't, we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time looking at each of those virtues or qualities of godliness, but there's, this is not an exhaustive list. Okay? You know, we don't look at this list and say, oh, well, all of those things are present in my life, therefore I must be godly. No, godliness encompasses so much more than this list, but, but the important thing I think to see is that the list begins with faith and ends with love. Okay? And, and faith okay, is a gift from God given to us in Christ. And it is the source, it comes first, it is the source of this life of godliness. So all of this virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection. And then it ends in love, which is the, again, the gift of God by His grace. How do we even know what love is? Because God first loved us, right? We, we, we even know what, God, what love is because God first loved us. And we only know how to love and are enabled to love because God in Christ has loved us in the giving of Christ as a substitute for us that we might have the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. God's demonstrating His own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, love also comes from God and finds its source in Him. So, faith, the source, and love, the result, are both given to us and demonstrated to us in God, namely in Christ. 
And so then this virtue or, or moral excellence, um, this self-control yielding of, of the sinful, sensuous desires, yielding those to the control of Christ, steadfastness, or, or in other words, just being faithful, continuing in the, the Christian life, continuing in the faith, continuing in following Christ and Christ-likeness. Godliness, which is essentially devotion. And I just want to pause here for a moment and just say I know that the word godliness is here. And and I, I want you to know that as I talk about godliness throughout Second Peter, uh, I, I'm using that word in a scope that's a little bit larger than it's used right here in this text, in this, in this verse here. Godliness is simply devotion. Devotion to God. Um, I'm using godliness as a lifestyle that demonstrates not just devotion, but also imitation of God. Uh, God-likeness, Christ-likeness in lifestyle. It, it, it is devotion, but it's devotion and imitation and following and yielding and obeying. All of that as godliness. Um, and then brotherly affection, which is simply brotherly love, loving one another as brothers and sisters should love one another. That's the brotherly affection that he talks about here. And then with love, okay? And, of course, love encompasses really all of those things. So don't see this list as sort of this, like, ladder where, okay, well, if I do not, if I do virtue, then the next thing I'll get is knowledge. And if I have knowledge, then the next thing will be self-control. I, I, I don't want you to see them as stair steps or a ladder. because it's not really the intention here. It's, this is simply, it's, it's bracketed with what God provides, faith and love. And then, and then a description of how faith and love are lived out in a godly lifestyle. So yes, do, do we want these qualities in our life? You bet. You bet we do. Do we want to have a level of moral excellence? Yes. I want that for you. I want that for me. We, we should want that for one another. Uh, do, do we need knowledge? Knowledge of God? Knowledge of Christ? Absolutely. We need to be growing in our knowledge of Christ daily. Uh, I want that for you. I want that for me. We should want that for, for one another. Um, do we want to grow in our faithfulness to... to Christ, the gospel, and our faithfulness to our responsibilities to one another as part of a community of faith. Absolutely. All of those things are admirable qualities. But, th but this list is a description of the life lived out of faith and love, a life of godliness. Then notice it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these qualities are in, in you and increasing, there's a command here, or part of this command to godliness is a, is a command to continuously grow in godliness. I, I want us to see that this command to godliness is not a one-time command. In other words, okay, um, you will reach a level of godliness. So in other words, if you have these seven, eight qualities, you're done. You're finished. Kick back. Relax. Sit down. Um, no. The, the call is that you have these, the command is that you have these qualities and they be increasing in you. This is the process of sanctification where God is at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit conforming us more and more to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and we're growing in godliness. These qualities of godliness are slowly increasing in us. And here's what it means. It means that we have to have a lifelong, holy dissatisfaction with attainment, what we've attained. A holy, a lifelong holy dissatisfaction. Not a prideful one. There's a trap here. Don't fall into the trap, the prideful trap of dissatisfaction with where I am because I'm comparing myself to someone else. 
In other words, oh gosh, I don't like where I am spiritually because I'm not where Caleb Billingsley is spiritually. Or, I, I, I'm, I, or, or, or I don't, I'm not where, you know, Aaron Kreitz is spiritually. That type of dissatisfaction is rooted in pride. And that is not a holy dissatisfaction. What, what Peter is expressing to us is that no, what God's command to godliness asks of us and, and provides for us is a dissatisfaction not out of pride and comparing ourselves to others, but simply for the glory of God. So that we might be to the praise of His glory. That, that type of dissatisfaction with attainment. It, it, it means that we do not rely upon past successes. That, that could be one of the greatest obstacles we face as we, as we, in the power that God provides, work out our sanctification. Is that we, we, we rest in our past successes. I, I, you know, in the past, I, man, I just knew the Bible forwards and backwards. Or, you know, in the past, I was spending X amount of time studying and memorizing the Word and really learning. And I, in the past, I, I've just really been involved in ministering and sharing the gospel. I used to be very evangelistic. Well, <laughs> you know, praise God that that was true. Well, what's, what's true now? Why it why isn't that even more true in your life? Well, can't rest on past successes. You know, um, the composer uh, Ludwig von Beethoven. I'm not a big fan, but I am. But I'm aware. Okay, I'm aware. I appreciate. I appreciate. But here's what I appreciate most about this composer, Ludwig von Beethoven, is that he he composed perhaps his most loved symphony, symphony number five, okay, but still composed more symphonies after that. In fact, if you look at a list of like, hey, the, the top ten symphonies you need to listen to or own in your music collection or whatever, Beethoven's fifth is usually somewhere around the top, maybe debated with a few others. But you know what else is also in that list? Beethoven's ninth. His Ninth Symphony, which he composed being completely deaf. How, do you, like, how does one do that? I don't know, but here's what I do know. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony exists because he didn't rest on past successes. But he continued to move forward in his composition of music even after losing his hearing. Wow. Moved forward. Continued on. Strove to make progress. And, and that's really what this command to godliness and these godly qualities that are in us and increasing in us is that we continue to strive, not just strive once or for a season, but for all of our lives toward godliness until we finish the race, until we win the prize, which is Jesus. Seeing Him as He is. When the soul of the righteous is made perfect in death. When the sanctification process is completed and we are made perfect, which is not in this life, but continues throughout this life. Make every effort. And then, and then finally this call to godliness is, is, in a, is a call to effectiveness and fruitfulness in our knowledge of Christ. In other words, to be effective and fruitful in ministry. You realize a, the call to godliness is a call to effectiveness in ministry. The call to godliness is a call to fruitfulness in ministry that living and chasing after and striving for and working with the power of God that is in us towards sanctification and godliness produces in us effective, fruitful ministry. Why? Because it's plugged into the source of power. What is the source for effectiveness and fruitfulness in ministry? It's God. It's it's. It's the work of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit 
in us. That's the power for fruitfulness and effectiveness in ministry. Um, Judy and I, a few weeks ago, went on vacation. A lot of you know this, that we went on vacation. We went to St. Louis, and this was kind of a special vacation because we were celebrating. I know this seems weird, uh, but we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary, which is actually in October. So in October, Judy and I will have been married 25 years, but she teaches at Parkland, and we can't go anywhere in October. So in May and the 1st of June... We could go. So this was this vacation was also our time to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. So it was kind of special. Uh, what did I say? Kinda. I meant it was immensely special. That's what I meant to say. I don't know. Somebody messed with my notes. Yeah. Um, but so so we, you know we uh, and yeah we kind of we splurged a little bit. I mean St. Louis maybe isn't a splurge to some of you, but. But the rest of this was, you know, we got a really nice hotel. We stayed there like six nights in the hotel. And we went to Cardinal Games and shows at the Fox. And just had a great time of refreshment and all of that. But when we got to the hotel room, we checked in. And, you know, I picked my side of the bed, which is my side of the bed at home. And she picked her side of the bed, which is also her side of the bed at home. And my table side lamp worked just fine, but hers did not. And, and her Kindle is not backlit, but my iPad is. So she really needed that you know, the the light to work on her side. And so we're like, oh, well, you know, we'll have to call down to the front desk and have them come up and fix that. Probably needs a new bulb or something. And okay. So, and then, and then really a couple of days went by and we just, every time we were in the room sort of complained to ourselves, yeah, we got to call down to the front desk and get that taken care of. And then finally on about the third day, uh, I'm going to say we, but it was really Judy. uh, She discovered that the lamp was not plugged in. The lamp was ineffective as a source of light. It was fruitless in meeting our illumination needs because it lacked a source of power. It, it wasn't plugged in. And guys, this, the same thing's true with us. We will be ineffective and fruitless in godliness and ministry if we're not completely trusting in, wrestling with, and working with the source of power, God's divine power, Christ's righteousness and His very precious promises that are at work in us. We've got to be wrestling and striving and working with those and plugged into that source of power. So... We have a command of godliness. We see that, a command to godliness. We see that in verses 5 through 8. But then also we see in this text the effect of godliness. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. So we see that for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The effect of godliness. Well, one of the effects of godliness is that it protects us from laziness, forgetfulness, and pride. Godliness has this effect in us. It protects us from laziness, forgetfulness, and pride. Look Again, at verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities. Okay, so what was the command in verse 5? Make every effort, right? Make every effort, work and strive so that these qualities are in you. But now he says, but the one who lacks these qualities, what's that imply? They're not working or striving, right? That laziness and that complacency and laziness have worked their way into this person's life. And so so they lack these qualities. These qualities are not present in them because of laziness and complacency. But godliness protects us from laziness and complacency. And then, look, also it says, he's nearsighted. And is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins. Nearsighted and 
blind. Blind, I think, implies for us forgetfulness and nearsightedness is pride. Because when we are prideful, who are we looking at? Ourselves, right? When Jim is, is prideful, Jim is looking at Jim. And Jim is speaking about himself in the third person. When I am prideful, it's too much vitamin I. It's all about me, 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 right? I am look. My my sight is so near that I'm only looking at myself. I'm not looking beyond myself. And godliness is God's loving protection for me to guard me, guard in me against pride, against looking too closely at myself. And then blindness, blindness kind of represents and implies forgetfulness. Because it says the, the one who doesn't have these qualities, so the one who's grown lazy and complacent, the one who's become prideful, um, has also become forgetful. When we are prideful, then we blind ourselves to the truth that we have been forgiven by God in Christ. We, we forget that we were once dead in our trespasses and our sins in which we once walked. We, we forget that Christ has died to take the penalty of our sin upon Himself and therefore purchasing for us an eternal salvation. We forget about that. We become blind to that truth and that reality. But godliness... Godliness serves as a protection from laziness, forgetfulness, and pride. When I was first a college student, back in 19... Um, I, I was not a very good college student. I started my college career at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. Just a little bit of an aside to help put a little context into this story. Um, I, went to, uh, I, I went to SIU intending to walk away from my faith. I wanted to party. I, I, um, according to Playboy magazine, um, SIU was one of the top ten party schools in the country. So I was like, that's, I'm going. That, that was SIUC, see you later. Okay, that was, that was the plan for me. That's what I wanted for myself. Okay, so anyway, um, I was not a very good student. Uh, I I remember I had a economics class my fresh first semester of my freshman year, and basically I skipped the last two weeks of class. Thought I'll just show up on the day of the final and and pull it out. Well, the professor gave the final during the last week of class. I didn't even take the final. I totally failed that class. Came back, failed three other classes. I had a super low GPA. I was a horrible student. Now, God was beginning to do a work in my life, and I was no longer running away from Him. I was, God was drawing me into a you know, daily relationship with Himself, and then I met Judy at SIU, and we got married, and I transferred to the University of Oklahoma, and I got on the dean's list at OU every semester. Okay, every semester, I was on the dean's list. I had a, had a 4.0 three straight semesters at, at OU. Is the, is the lesson that the University of Oklahoma is a, is an easier school? No, that is not the lesson. The lesson is, the lesson is, a there was a relationship in my life that made all the difference in the world. It there was a relationship in my life that protected me from my own tendency towards laziness and procrastination, and that relationship was marriage. Okay. I had this woman who loved me and accepted me and supported me. And even though I was a horrible student and she was a much better student, and by the way, she already had a master's degree and I didn't have a bachelor's degree yet, submitted herself to me as, as the husband and head of our home. Was that relationship, that special relationship, 
help to guard me and protection for me from lazy. You bet. You bet that relationship served to protect me from laziness, protect me from pride and from forgetfulness. And, and so if that's true in this one area with a great relationship but not the ultimate relationship, how much more is that true in our relationship with God in Christ? Is He going to protect us in all of life and in all areas from laziness, forgetfulness, and pride? And then also, godliness serves as a reminder of the gospel because it confirms our election. In other words, as we live a true life of godliness that is empowered by God's divine power, it's something He's done that only He can do because of the righteousness of Christ based on His, his uh, uh, precious and great promises, okay, if that's the life of godliness that's present in me and is present in you, then here's what you know. You belong to God. You have indeed been redeemed by Christ. Your election, your choosing by God is confirmed in godliness. And the confirmation of our election points us to the gospel. Because we know our election is all about the gospel. We know that, that God is the creator. That he is holy. And that he is perfect. And that God himself has created the universe and all that is in it. And he sustains the universe. And he's created man. He's created you and I. And mankind and you and I have rebelled against him. We have gone our own way. We have rejected his authority. We have what the Bible calls sinned against him in wanting to go our own way, in our rebellion, in our disobedience, all of that, we've sinned against God and we've been separated from Him. But God, because of His glory and His love, sent His Son Jesus, God in flesh, to, to, come to, to leave heaven and come to earth and to live as a man, enduring every kind of trial and experiencing every kind of temptation yet living perfectly righteously living holy without sin and then stepping into our place and taking our punishment the punishment that was intended for us because of our sin our rebellion absorbing the wrath of God on the cross his death on the cross taking on our sin taking on our punishment taking on God's wrath, all of that, all of it, every bit of it, on Him at the cross. So that if we would respond to Him in repentance and faith, we might have the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. That's what godliness reminds us of. It reminds us of the gospel. This life of godliness reminds us of the gospel because this life of godliness confirms our election, God's choosing of us in Christ for His glory. And then, also, this life of godliness is an assurance of endurance in salvation. Look what it says there in verse, the last part of 10 and then verse 11. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall, fall away, fall from grace, fall into apostasy, no. But for, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't hear that godliness earns us a way into the kingdom, but understand that the way to the king, into the kingdom the way that God has provided for us is a way of godliness. There's a difference. Do you, do you see it? Do you hear, it's not that, that our lives of godliness forges the path. No, the, the path that God has forged into His eternal kingdom is a path of godliness for us in His provision. So not only do we have this command of godliness, verses 5 through 8, and then the effect or the evidence of godliness in verses 9 through 11, we have the urgency of godliness in verses 12 through 15. Look at those with me. And this is Peter 
Peter's sort of personal communication to the churches he is, he's writing to, most likely in Asia Minor. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, so long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. And I will make every effort, there's every effort again, uh, so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. Oh, there are those things again. Okay, these things again. But, but what I want us to see, what I hope we see is this urgency. This urgency in the words of the, of the Apostle Peter to the church saying, You know these things already. You know them. And they are present in you. But yet, it's right for me to give you this constant reminder of what you know. It's right for me to give you this constant reminder of what you already know and what's already present. You need it. You need it. You always need to have this call, a command, and evidence of godliness before your eyes because you'll forget. We tend to forget, right? Don't we forget what we know? Like, do you know that antiperspirant is effective and fruitful in, in making you presentable to other people on hot summer days, right? Have you ever been out, needed it from the store, didn't put it on the list and didn't get it? Right. Why don't we make shopping lists? Because we forget what we know. We know what we need. Our empty stomach tells us what we need. Our stinking bodies tell us what we need. Our dingy teeth tell us what we need. I don't know. Our stubble on our faces guys tell us what we need from the store but we still got to make a list because we forget well man if we forget needful but yet still trivial things like deodorant and razors and grapes and sirloins sirloins um, uh, how much more though are we going to forget what we know in the truth about God we will. We tend to forget. We're frail creatures of dust who tend to forget. Even though we're protected in godliness from forgetfulness, we're still... So there must be this constant reminder of what we know. And that gives us an urgency about godliness. Godliness is a big deal. Because Peter is saying, I'm going to give you this constant reminder. And I'm also going to do this in such a way that so that after I'm gone... You'll still know these things. You'll still remember these things. You will still be able to recall them. He, it's like my dying wish. That's, that's almost what Peter's saying because Peter recognizes and he tells us right here, tells the churches in Asia Minor that I know my time to leave is coming soon. The Lord has already revealed it to me. Now, I don't know if, if Peter has had a vision or a direct word from the Lord that his time is near or if it's just simply what, what Jesus said to Peter that's recorded in the gospel, okay? But Peter knows that his time is at hand. We know uh, the context of Second of Peter is that Peter is in Rome, imprisoned during the sort of the persecution, the Neronian persecution. Nero, Emperor of Rome, is blaming everything bad on Christians. And so he's persecuting Christians. Peter is experiencing some of that, and he's most likely going to die. He's, he is going to die soon, okay? And he knows it. And so his dying wish, his, desi his, his dying desire is that the church not forget about godliness, not forget the call of godliness or the effect of godliness, the need for godliness, this need to to continue to strive after godliness. So he, it's a constant reminder of what we know, but also an enduring reminder to live and to act. Because it's not just... He doesn't, Peter doesn't want them to recall these things to mind for the sake of, hey, you know, you got a test on this tomorrow, a written exam, and I want you to pass it. Or like, hey, at my funeral, we're going to pass out uh, an exam, and I want you to get all the questions right. No, the reason to recall these things is to live and to act upon, live these things and act upon these things, these things being 
this call or command to godliness and the effect of godliness and simply the, the urgent need of godliness in our lives. So, what do we do in response to this command to godliness and the effect of godliness and the urgency of godliness? What do we do about this tension that we feel and see in, 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 in balancing you know, God's power and God's work and His provision and our efforts? Because both are present. God does provide. It is His provision. He provides all that we need for life and godliness, but yet we are to make every effort at godliness. What do we do with all that? Well, I think we first ask this question. Are you making every effort to godliness? I mean, are you striving for and laboring toward godliness? Now, Remember what kind of working and laboring and striving it is. It's striving and working and laboring in the power of God, His divine power, which has already granted all that we need. It's, it's not a power that precedes faith. It's not a power or, a, or and it's not a striving. I'm sorry, it's not a striving or a working that precedes faith, but it's a striving and a working that, that comes after faith faith, it's because of what God has done. But still, are you making every effort at godliness in every area of your life all the time? Because that's that's the command. And then, is godliness having the right effect in your life? Remember, the effect would be protection from laziness and forgetfulness and pride. It would be a reminder of the gospel because it is a confirmation of our election. And and it's an assurance of the endurance of salvation. We know we will not fall. We We know that we will not fall away because godliness reminds us of the gospel and affirms our election and our salvation and that it will endure. Is it having that effect in your life? Is, is godliness having that effect? Because if, if it is not, then then you're in danger of what we read about in 2 Timothy 3.5. Those, Timothy, well, I'm sorry, Paul writes to Timothy about those who have the appearance of godliness, something that looks like godliness, but it lacks the power or the effect or the evidence of godliness. In other words, it does, they have something that looks like godliness, but all it is is their effort at moral excellence. It is their effort apart from and separate from the work of God in their life. It is moral legalism. And that's all that it is. And and godliness that's built on moral legalism only appears to be godliness. And it is ineffective and fruitless. It lacks the power and effect of godliness. So is godliness having the right effect in your life? Is it, is it there? Do you experience through godliness protection? God's loving protection from laziness and forgetfulness and pride? Uh, and then finally, are you communicating an urgency for godliness? And, and one way I see that happening, especially here at Redeemer Church, is through our life transformation group. That's where I see this emphasis on the urgency of godliness. Because what happens in our life transformation groups is that we hold one another accountable simply for godliness. We're holding one another accountable for godliness. We are speaking godliness into one another's lives. We are encouraging and admonishing godliness in one another's lives. And we are demonstrating godliness to one another. And we are kind of linking arms and pulling one another up to godliness and pushing one another up to godliness and being pulled on to godliness and pulled forward in godliness through that interaction of accountability and discipleship and love and faithfulness. Gosh, you want to see you want to see that list, you know that virtue and knowledge and 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 steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection. You want to see that list in, in, in your life? Uh, you'll see 
that will be addressed in a life transformation group. And so that, that, I mean, that's not the only way, but that's one way. That's one easy way I see this urgency of godliness communicated in one another's lives. Guys, in our text today, we've seen that God's intention and provision for us is that we would live lives of godliness. We've seen the command of godliness, the effect of godliness, and the urgency of godliness. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for providing by your divine power all that we need for life and godliness. Oh God, I pray that we would strive towards godliness in all the power and strength you have provided because of the gift of faith and the demonstration of your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.